I have sometimes bought into the trap or this lie that church has to be scripted. You know, people are coming expecting a certain thing and you've got to produce it. Please don't ever let me get caught up in that. If you, if you start seeing that in me, please pull me aside and say, Brady, that's not how you're wired. God doesn't call you to, to be that way. I can also buy into the trap that I have to be like other pastors. I have to do it like the way they used to do it at this church or the way I saw it done at this church. But on Friday night, I had an opportunity to speak at a Hispanic church down in the city. And man, they, just, they don't like have a script. They just like, just go with it. Time doesn't mean anything to them. They don't say, oh, well, at a certain time you got to be done. Because I asked him, how long do you want me to preach? He's like, preach as long as you want. I was like, yes. Can't wait for Sunday morning. This is going to be awesome. Chiefs don't play till three, right? <laughs> but uh, I just don't, th- I don't think God is, uh, is scripted. I don't think he works that way. I mean, he has, he has order, obviously, and he has structure, and he has uh, boundaries and, and uh, things that he sets for us. But... I think he is he's in the mix and he's willing to, to move and, and as long as we're willing to let him move, right? We don't want to get in the way of that. And thank you for praying. I, you know, I pray if you felt uncomfortable with all of that, let God grow you in that. Let God work through that in you. Um, he's, he's trying to teach you something, obviously. Today, I just want to share a little bit about this, uh, this idea of a relentless pursuit. Really around the idea of relentlessly pursuing God, obviously, because we'll see evidence in Scripture that He has relentlessly pursued us. And He, and he, and he will. He'll continue to do so. No matter where you go, where you've been, He'll pursue you. But also the thought of this, about relentlessly pursuing your children, and that doesn't mean you're a helicopter parent hovering over them and like obsessive over them. And some people are like that. And some, some of us need to pull back a little bit. But I mean relentlessly pursuing them in the faith. And encouraging them in the faith. Um, praying for them. My mom, got, she was tired by the time she got to me. Because my three older siblings just wore her out. And I think the only thing she could do for me at that particular moment was pray. Unfortunately, she trusted me a little too much, and I kind of took advantage of that. That's a whole other story for another day. But she was relentless in prayer for me. And there's nothing more powerful than the, the prayer, fervent prayer of a mother. They're just wired that way. Like, they just will not give up, and they will pray. And I want to encourage you to do that. Teenagers, just a real special word for you right now. Teenagers, I encourage you, I implore you to do something for me. I'm going to act it out for you. And look at your parents. Engage with your parents. They, They really do want what's best for you. Even though it seems oppressive and intrusive, but listen, you have to be relentless too about continuing a relationship with your parents. 
I, my oldest daughter, she was a product of a divorce and she was every other weekend with me. But I was relentlessly pursuing her and engaging in conversation. And it gets a little easier now that we have this, this technology. But the temptation is, is for you as teenagers, is that the enemy of your soul will rob you of that connection with your parents. And you will think that it's normal and okay to not have that connection. But I'm telling you right now, it's not. It's not normal. And it's not okay. Because your mom and dad, they have, they just know what is best for you. They are older than you for a reason. They have been you. Yeah, the music was a little bit different and the hairstyles are a little weird, but they have been you, so they know. And that's why God has put you in their life and, they, and you in their life. They know. And I know as a dad, I have to be aware of that. And it could, it, you could just easily lose the connection. As much as I love my kids, as much as they love me, I have to fight for that with them. Put the phone down, turn your data off, <laughs> and look me in the eye. And let's connect with one another. Let's, parents, we need to do a better job of listening to our kids. I mean, they want us to listen when they want something, right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah. But we need to do a better job of listening to, like, hearing their heart. Like, what, what do you need? Like, this great question and we've done it a few times in our family, but what do you need from me right now? Ask your kids that. Kids, ask your parents that question. As a, as a young person, say, hey, mom and dad, what do you need from me right now? And don't be afraid of the answer, because you probably know what the answer is going to be in some cases. Well, I know you need me to clean my room. I get it, I get it, I'm trying. But ask that question. And be relentless about it. And here's, here's the definition of relentless. Oppressively constant. Oppressively constant. Incessant. There's other words that describe this word. Persistent, continuing, constant, nonstop, never-ending, endless, unrelenting, unfaltering. So what are some examples of some things that are relentless in our world, all right? Now, there are some, I, I, I put out a list in my own head, but I was thinking of things that are relentless here on this side of heaven, and then there's some things that are going to go on forever and eternity, and that's really relentless, and that's awesome. But what are some things that right now are relentless in our world? I'll give you an example. Time is relentless. Now, obviously, time's going to come to an end someday, at least time as we know it. But right now, time, it's ticking and ticking. And ticking as I'm looking at my clock thinking i got so much time left. Listen, I'll tell you, last week I was so frustrated, I ran out of time. Now in the Hispanic church, I wouldn't have ran out of time. I could have just kept on going. But I was trying to honor everyone, and I just ran out of time. So I left, I left, I felt like unfinished business. Time is relentless. What else? Because I, I want to hear your, your feedback, because I was trying to process through some of these things, and I came up with some ideas, but maybe you can add something to my list what else commercialism, commercialism. yes you are everywhere you look they're counting on it <laughs> counting on you buying in and giving up and giving in whatever what else huh 
technology. Yeah, like, yeah, your, my phone is super outdated. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's antiquated. It doesn't matter anymore. It's like it's, I've got to move on. Hey, Brady, when are you going to get the iPhone 7? I don't know. When are you going to give me some money <laughs> to get an iPhone 7? Like, I don't really need an iPhone 7. All right, mine works fine. As long as it's still functioning, it's okay. <laughs> Kids, homework. During school, homework feels like it's relentless. Every time you turn around, these teachers expect for me to do my homework. I don't get it. Adults, without the home, it's the work. Or maybe it is homework. It's work at home. Work is relentless. Laundry, dishes. Anybody? Laundry, dishes. My wife is funny. She'll get, she, laundry's therapeutic for her. It's like I get in trouble for doing my laundry. It's crazy. But she's like, oh, I got all the laundry done. And like, uh, no, you don't, because I'm wearing some right now. So unless we all walk around without any clothes on for a day, there's still laundry to do. <laughs> Matter of fact, you just go check my daughter's car. There's laundry to do. <laughs> I didn't say which daughter. I got four of them, so pick one. <laughs> dishes, same thing. The dishes are never done. Well, we have to eat. What are we supposed to do? I mean, we, we could eat on you know, paper plates, I guess, and this should always be done. Your kids are relentless. Some guy said he has two daughters. There's named, the daughter's name is Give Me, and the other one's Give Me More. <laughs> Parents, your kids are like, wait a minute, wait. Parents are relentless. Constant expectations. Kind of went through that already. Hunger. It's relentless. It's never ending. You're always, like I'll eat, I'm full, but it, you know, it's, it's coming back. <laughs> that same old feeling. We were on the way to a volleyball game the other night. Our 15-month-old granddaughter's behind me, and she's relentless when it comes to food. Like, she literally, she's got a bite in her mouth, and she's like, eh, with her hand out wanting another bite. And it's like we fed her the whole way there. We were like scrounging around, looking at, oh, here's a cold French fry. Give it to her, you know? She's relentless. <laughs> no, we didn't give her a cold French fry. Her mother's right there. She's probably thinking, you're mistreating my child. She'll eat everything that you have and still want more. Your heart is relentless. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> right now, your heart just keeps working and working. And poor little Landon's heart stopped working. And they had to hook him up to a machine to work for him. You know, maybe in life there are times when you feel like I just can't go on. And that's when God becomes your ECMO machine. <laughs> and he starts breathing for you. He makes your heart beat because you can't do it on your own any longer. Cancer and disease seems to be relentless. Which leads me to this, this fact, the love and prayers of a mom and a dad, especially when they have a sick child, they're relentless too. I, wish, I witnessed it uh, a week or so ago with uh, Barb and her daughter Michelle that go to our church. And then I witnessed it yesterday for sure with Todd and Megan with Landon. Sin and the temptation of the enemy of our soul or the enemy himself is relentless. You know, the devil, he's real and he's alive and, it, and there's evil in our world and he does not give up. <laughs> the hopelessness, I thought about this thought this morning, 
the hopelessness that, that someone will feel when they're separated from God for eternity is never-ending. And that, to me, is like the worst part of, of thinking about that because like, at least when we're going through a hard time here on earth, we have the hope that it's going to be over someday. Homework, I'll be done eventually. Summer will come, right? School will end at three and I can go home and I don't have to mess with at least being in the classroom. Whatever it is that we're going through, we know that we have this hope that it's going to end. God's faithfulness, these are things that are relentless. God's faithfulness in the face of our failure. Isn't that good news? God's faithfulness in your life in spite of who you are and what you've done. That's great news. It's relentless. It does that. He doesn't stop. He doesn't get to the place. He's like, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm done. You've blown it too many times. I gave you an allotment. You've used them all. God's grace, his unmerited favor is relentless. Do you know God's desire for you to be holy and righteous is relentless? Like he really does long for you to walk in total freedom. I mean, he's got it prepared for you in eternity, but he wants you to start experiencing, get a little taste of it right here, right now on earth. I want you to think about this thought. God's work in you is relentless because in Scripture, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says that he is the author and perfecter of your faith. So listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That's kind of that desire to be free of sin and walk in righteousness and holiness. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. If Jesus has founded it in you, if he started it in you, he's going to perfect it in you. And now, obviously, he wants us to participate in that process. And we can, be re, we can, be, um, we can resist that. We all go through that stage, especially in our teenage years and young adult years. We may get to the place where we're, we're resisting it. Like uh, recently I've been, been uh, really just using this analogy about uh, all of us rowing together. Like just think about us being in a boat. We all got an oar and we're all rowing together in this life, okay? And you know, the reality is that sometimes in our life we say, you know what? I don't want to row anymore. So we just take our, our oar out of the water. Or even worse yet, we may say, you know what? I want to make it a little bit more difficult for the people around me, so I'm just going to stick my oar into the mud, into the bottom of the river if I can reach it, or I'll just start rowing the other way. Know anybody like that? You probably looked at them in the mirror. <laughs> we've all been there, right? Well, we've rowed the other direction. Maybe unintentionally at first, but then maybe we got to the place where we've gotten so far going the other direction, we just say, you know, I don't even care anymore. But Jesus, if he starts to work in you, he's relentless to perfect it. And he will continue to work and work and work on your behalf. God's love is relentless. 
In Scripture, it uses the word a lot. Now, I, I use the, um, the ESV version, the English Standard Version. And in the English Standard Version, the word steadfast is used 219 times. Most of them are found in the book of Psalm. <laughs> steadfast, never-ending, endureth forever kind of love. Psalm 136, the whole psalm is about God's steadfast love that endures forever, over and over and over again. Psalm 145, I read it last week, and there's a, a place in there where it says that, uh, it talks about his steadfast love. I'll just read this one quick verse. For, uh, psalm 145, 8 and 9, it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Never-ending, steadfast love. The Hebrew word, right, little coursework for you here. The Hebrew word for the word steadfast is pronounced chaste. Chaste. And there is not an English word equivalent to that word. And, and my, the way my mind works is my guess is, is because that kind of love and steadfastness is, cannot be defined by human words. Like we don't, we don't have that propensity to love like that. Right? I mean, even in the church, we'll say, oh, well, come to church, you know, the people will love you. Until you do something to make them angry. <laughs> until you hurt somebody's feelings or do you, you um, cause some type of a rift. And then love becomes very conditional. Because humans, we're not able to love like God loves. Now that's his desire for us. He's wanting us to get to that place. And we get better at it, I think, as we practice it. But God's steadfast love cannot be defined with English words. Do you know that since the beginning of time, God has been relentlessly pursuing you? If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. All right, little uh, quick background story. God created all things. He created man and woman. He told them not to eat from a particular tree in the garden, but they did. They realized that um, the laundry would never be done forever again because they had to go make some laundry because <laughs> they were naked and they just realized, they realized that um, they had done something that God had asked them not to do. And they went and they hid. They covered themselves and they hid. And in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Do you know that that same God comes looking for each one of us and he asks us the same question. Today, he might be asking you, where are you? 
Where are you when it comes to me? Where are you when it comes to my steadfast love for you? Where are you? And the, and the truth is, is we're all um, in a similar place, but we're all in a little different place too, just depending on our life's scenario and where we've been and the things that we've done. And, and the temptation is to believe the lie that you might be so far away that you might, wherever it is that you're at, that God can't find you. Well, it's not, that's not true. It's not true. God found them because <laughs> he was looking for them because he's pursuing them relentlessly. And he pursues us the same way. Now that is good news most of the time. <laughs> it's just like as a kid, just like when you, you kids, you know, and you've, you know you've done something you shouldn't do, and you know it's just a matter of time before my mom and dad find out. I know they're going to find out. They always do. Right? Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> yeah, have you ever had this thought, why do I keep doing that? Because I know they're always going to find out. Yeah, that's the problem of the flesh that we live in. <laughs> it's something you're always going to you're gonna be struggling with that for, probably for, until Jesus comes back. But the Lord God said to the man, where are you? I am I'm pursuing you. Do you know in Scripture later on, um, in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but just think about this. Uh, God pursued Moses and found him on the backside of a desert, hiding. I'll just go away and I'll just live here and do my thing. I thought God had a special plan for my life. I mean, he rescued me out of a boat when I was just a baby and sent me into Pharaoh's home and he educated me and he gave me this opportunity, I think, to, to really make a difference in the lives of people. And then I found myself just hiding on the backside of the desert. Do you know God pursued him there, found him, and he said this to him. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it says, and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. I believe the number one reason why people don't come to church is because of that right there. They're afraid to look at God. They're afraid of what God will see in them. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I remember last week we kind of led up to how the people got to Egypt because of the famine and Joseph was there and what, what the enemy intended for evil, God turned it into good. And, and this, is, this is what God said. He says, I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I have come down to deliver them. You know who that makes me think of? Makes me think of this guy in the Bible whose name is Jesus. You know who I'm talking about? Sounds familiar? This guy named Jesus? Kind of big central figure. <laughs> you know what Jesus tells the people when he has this encounter with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man has come to pursue relentlessly those who need him the most. 
In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus, who was in the form of God, who was in, saw equality with God, something not to be held on to, to or to be grasped, it says, and this, is, this is in verse 6, it says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was so relentlessly willing to pursue us that he emptied himself of all of the glory and the power and authority that he had in heaven that he could have just held on to and said, no, thank you, I don't want to go to earth. It's a terrible place. Have you seen these people? But it said he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and, and he was born into human flesh like you and me. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's the last part of Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, I, we introduced this idea of Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen to what it says. This is verse 3 and 4. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus relentlessly pursuing the joy that was set before him. And some scholars and teachers and pastors will say, oh, but the, for the joy was you and me. Did you know you're the joy of the Lord? You may not know that this morning. Emma, did you know that? You're my joy. Nothing compared to God's joy for you. You are the joy set before the Lord. And then others will say, well, it was for God's glory. It was the glory of God was his joy. But I believe that when Jesus brings glory to the Father by redeeming you and me, it's all the same. <laughs> right? He endured the cross, pursued it relentlessly. And it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, that you won't grow weary or faint-hearted when you are pursuing him, when you are pursuing your children, when you are working through something difficult in your life, that you won't give up because you think, you know what, Jesus didn't give up. He could have. He even prayed in the garden, God, is there any other way? Do I have to walk through this? Do I have to go down this road? But he says, not my will be done, but your will be done, Lord. Like, I'm willing. Make me able. Are you willing to pursue him like that? He will make you able to do so. So what's our response? as people, as individuals, as a church, what is our response? Maybe your response this morning is to say, you know what, there is, there is stuff in my life that's holding me back and I need to get rid of that, cast it off. I need to get rid of these things that's so easily binding me from really pursuing and knowing Jesus. 
then I would encourage you to do that. <laughs> I mean, this is that, this is that moment, this opportunity for you to, to do just that. One of the last things I wanted to, to say last week is that don't buy into the lie that there is nothing that you're going through in your life that God can't deliver you from. If you've bought into that lie, you're done already. <laughs> but don't believe that. We, we believe that for, for the Jairus family right now, that, that there's nothing that they're going through that God can't deliver them from. Now, a lot of times when he delivers us from something, we end up having to go through it. <laughs> Just like Jesus had to go through the cross in order to get to the joy. If he would have bypassed that, there would have been no joy. So maybe you're going through something today and you say, you know what, I just I need God to redeem me from it. I need to, him to redeem me through it. And just like we knelt down and prayed for Landon, maybe he's calling you to kneel down and to pray. This is the most awkward moment of every church service and everyone's like, oh no. God, please don't ask me to go up there. It's gonna feel weird. People are going to wonder and think. It's a good thing Jesus didn't feel that way. <laughs> you know, he's like, what are people going to think? I'm going to be hanging on a tree naked. It's going to be embarrassing. Fight through that feeling. And if God is speaking to you about something this morning, come and pray. And um, we'll pray with you. And I know Pastor Brady's here and he'll pray with you. And um, But... Just take this opportunity to allow God's relentless and steadfast love for you to, to speak into your situation, whatever that situation is. And so as we worship together, um, we'll have an opportunity for prayer if you, if you want to continue to come and pray for people that are hurting and sick in our church. Just pray for our community, pray for our nation. You know, here's, here's just a thought. What if you came together as a family and prayed? That'd be pretty cool. All right, let's worship.